Sandy in the morning. It's Magic 95.1 WAJI here on a Tuesday. Angie Nash in studio. Let's get to what's trending with our news. City of Fort Wayne, our 4th of July fireworks have been rescheduled for today. And it just sounds like a 2020 statement, right? 4th of July fireworks in November. Hopefully the rain holds off tonight. It should rain in the overnight, but clouds this evening. Again, they pick tonight because it's the day before Veterans Day. Of course, that'll be tomorrow. So the fireworks downtown Fort Wayne this evening start at 630. They're making sure, you know, to attendees try to utilize various locations to spread out and help ensure public safety. Speaking of which, that's a good sort of segue for COVID spikes in the Hoosier State. Regional hospitals are weighing in on that. There are currently almost 250 infected patients in our area hospitals dealing with COVID, which is about five times more than where we were two months ago. The new daily cases in Northeast Indiana have jumped from about 100 a day to almost 500 daily. Southwest Allen County Schools announced yesterday that their secondary students will be shifting to virtual learning for the next two weeks due to inadequate staffing because they can't do in-person learning. In-person learning then is scheduled to resume after the Thanksgiving break. Similar news is coming out of Central Noble, where they're going to enact at-home learning from today through Friday due to staffing problems related to COVID-19. Angie, you said you've experienced that with friends that you know who are teachers. Absolutely. It's crazy right now. It's hard to get a substitute in there. Pfizer announced it has a vaccine that is over 90% effective at preventing people from getting the virus. We'll talk more about this throughout the show. But officials like Dr. Fauci have were worried that we might only get something that was 50 or 70% effective. So 90% effective is a really big deal in, in, in that industry. Now, to compare it to like the flu vaccines or the flu shots, those are only 40 to 60% effective most years. But in those cases, you're trying to, you know, expose your body to varying strands year after year to build up a long-term immunity. All right. Pfizer reports 50 million doses of this vaccine should be ready by the end of the year, and they're going to split those between the U.S. and other parts of the world. Other news today, it's time to go buy a new Xbox. The sleek, new, digitally-only Xbox Series S goes on the market for $300, but the more powerful Xbox Series X is also on sale, has a bigger hard drive or a solid-state drive, comes with a Blu-ray player, and is on sale for $500 just in time for the holiday season. I bet people are lined up for that guy. I mean, truly. Anybody, I thought you, I know you could pre-order a while ago, but uh-huh. I don't know if anybody's camped out this morning. Again, it's going to be, some people think it's going to be a dark winter. Could be more lockdowns, who knows? And mm-hmm. so I think people are trying to scoop these up in case they're quarantined. That's what's trending now with our Magic 95.1 news. Andy, in the morning, hey, it's Magic 95.1. Last night was uh, a special day on Jeopardy because the producers, for the first time, addressed the crowd and introduced the show because they wanted to pay tribute to the passing of Alex Trebek, of course, over the weekend. And I just thought there's some audio that I wanted to share with everybody this morning. I think, you know, you may have missed it. Life's busy. They opened up the show last night where the executive producer, Mike Richards, uh, shared some of his, you could hear his fighting back tears as he paid tribute to start the episode last night. He will forever be an inspiration for his constant desire to learn, his kindness, and for his love of his family. We will air his final 35 episodes as they were shot. That's what he wanted. On behalf of everyone here at Jeopardy, 
Thank you for everything, Alex. This is Jeopardy. He gave an interview, Mike Richards did, of Alex Trebek's final moments. And this is what he said. This is how Alex spent his final moments. Again, he was taping up until the 29th. But again, some of the stuff happened over the weekend and some of these interviews hadn't really had a chance to be conducted. And so you're getting some of this information out yesterday and this morning. He described that he wanted his final day to be sitting on his swing next to his wife, Jean, um, and kind of watching the horizon. And he got to do that. He was coherent. He wasn't in pain coherent wasn't in pain if you couldn't hear it and wanted to be sitting on his back porch with his wife you know watching the sun mm-hmm. and uh not in pain look i i gotta tell you i watched jeopardy with my grandfather and it was the only time that like i was you know it's a different era of parenting and sometimes but if that tv was on i wasn't allowed to talk or i had to leave the room you know hey right, yeah i can't imagine that today and so that i just remember watching jeopardy with my grandfather and he just thought it was such a great way to keep your mind sharp um both my grandparents both of them my grandfather both grandfathers i had were sort of continued education proponents Mm -hmm. you know just because you're done with college doesn't mean you're done learning and so they were just really into jeopardy Uh, this is the executive producer again talking about alex trebek's final day in the studio when he shot episodes the last ones he did on october 29th on our what ended up being our our final day taping i knew he was in an enormous amount of pain and and as he was leaving i saw him at the door and i said you know that was maybe the most incredible thing i've ever seen and he he kind of had had his head down he looked up and he said well thank you just, uh, I just thought he was a person of a different era, a different era of broadcaster, one of the smoothest communicators ever. I've always thought that about a little bit about Dick Clark and Ryan Seacrest, where you'll never, ever hear them say, um. Right. It's amazing to me the succinctness of his communicating style. And while he didn't get a final episode on Jeopardy, when his diagnosis was first revealed, this is what Alex Trebek said in a hosted interview, what he would like to say uh, if he ever had sort of a final 30 seconds, that's 30 seconds of a show to sort of say goodbye. It'll be a significant moment for me, but I've kind of, in my mind, rehearsed it uh, already. What I would do on that day is tell the director, time the show down to leave me 30 seconds at the end. That's all I want. And I will say my goodbyes. I will tell people, don't ask me who's going to replace me because I have no say in that whatsoever. But I'm sure that if you give them the same love and attention and respect that you have shown me for the past 30, however many years, then they will be a success and the show will continue being a success. And until we meet again, God bless you and goodbye. He did that off the cuff. And it's better than what I could have done if I had a month to write it. Isn't that crazy? Sandy in the morning. Hey, it's Magic 95.1. Angie Nash is in studio. As you know, Angie, my wife and I are expecting baby number three. Hmm? Due probably at the end of February. Everyone asks us baby names. We've got it narrowed down to two or three. But I wanted to share with you the list of the least popular baby names according to the Social Security Administration. All of these names went to more than five babies. Oh. But fewer than ten throughout the entire year. <laughs> okay. So, so you, to make the list, you had to have at least five people pick this name. 
but you also had to have less than 10. Okay. Okay? (laughs) So these are the least popular names. And everybody, whether you want to believe it or not, judges your name. You judge your baby name. You can see people who have bad poker faces when you choose. You say, hey, what did you name your baby? And you're like, I named him Ed. And they look at you, you're like, hmm. You could just tell if they can't. (laughs) They just can't hold their poker face. They just can't do it. So here we go. Least popular baby names from the Social Security Administration of this year. I take you to number 10, Subaru. You named your kid the car manufacturer Subaru. Okay. Number nine is Prince Charles. That's a whole name? Smush together, no space. Okay. (laughs) Again, more than five people went this route. Number eight, I kind of like, but man, you've got to be bold to do it. Rambo. Rambo (laughs) is on the list. Infant Boy in at seven. Attila at six. Number five, I like. I do. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't bring myself to actually do it. MacGyver. MacGyver. (laughs) Iceland in at four. Number three, again, these are the least popular baby names according to the Social Security Administration. That means at least five people named their kid this, but fewer than ten. Here's the top three. Number three is Dairy. You named your kid Dairy. Like Dairy? Like Dairy Dairy? Like, like D-A-I-R-Y? Yep, like come and milk me, Dairy. <laughs> dairy. Number two is the oddest one I've heard of ever. Really? Because your list has not been normal. Mama. You named your kid Mama. M-A-M-A. I think that's for people who didn't understand the concept of naming it after your mom. That is entirely confusing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is confusing to, oh my gosh. And then the number one is unique. It's well known, but it's unique. It's kind of like the equivalent of Rumpelstiltskin. Everybody knows it, but nobody uses it. You ready for number one? Cinderella. Aw, people name their baby Cinderella. Cinderella, there you go. Oh, that's cute. Social Security Administration's least popular baby names of this year. Sandy in the morning. Sandy in the morning, it's Magic 95.1. Angie Nash in studio. What does your hand position on the steering wheel say about your personality? A personality expert has weighed in on a bunch of driving styles. So if like you're a 10 and 2 or a 9 and 3 or an 8 and 4 type person, what does it mean? And I thought this would be perfect as those are driving in today during busy commute times. Mm-hmm. Now, Angie and Nash again in studio. What is like, do you know where you keep yours all the time? I'm 10 and 2 all day, every day. Really? Yeah, I'm a 10 and 2 girl. I think I'm kind of like just a 10. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like You're I a do, one-handed driver? I'm a, I'm a, yeah. Ooh, that's impressive. <laughs> I'm not. I'm a two-handed driver, and I'm doing, oh, yeah. So here it is. If you're, an, uh, if you're a 10 and 2, if you're a classic 10 and 2, you're a perfectionist who likes to play by the rules, it says. I love rules. I do love rules. You do like structure. I, I can tell. Do. I can tell. From our time working together, you like structure. You like to know. You like consistency. Now, if you're a 9 and 3-er. So that means Hold I'm on, f- where, where, 
You got to think about the clock. More in the middle here. Yeah, like so if you're on the far left and right sides of the wheel, that means you're more of an anxious person, but also very thorough. This is according to personality experts. Where you keep your hands on the steering wheel, what it says about your personality. My anxiety would never let me drive like that because I don't feel like you have as much control. Control. Like with your hands all the way that far, you got to be up here on the 10 and 2. Now, 8 and 4, everybody got their hands? So sort of a low right here. You're sort of low. Some of this little motion right here. (laughs) It's like 10 and 2, but it's at the bottom of the wheel. Like the exact opposite. You're like a school bus driver. Uh, Yes, if you're this. It also looks like you're doing the rumba. (laughs) That's what it looks like. Uh, If you're an 8 and 4 driver, it means you're a confident person who likes to take charge. Mostly if you can do that dance move in public. I wish we had a... Sometimes I wish we had a camera in here. I really do. (laughs) And right now is that time. One hand on top, one hand on the bottom. You're a minimalist. That means if you're like a 12 and a 6-er who keeps things simple. Uh, One hand near the top of the wheel. This is me. I am just like a 10-8. I'm just like... I'm not 10 and 2. I'm just 10. Mm -hmm. It means you're relaxed and you like to project confidence. Oh, that's you. I could uh, see you doing that. I I understand projecting confidence. I don't know that I'm always the most relaxed person. I'm kind of an intense person. I could, but I could see you just you know driving with one hand. What do you do with the other hand? Do you drink with well, it? Um, I mean, is that like your coffee hand or yeah? Is that the hand that you like beat your kids in the back seat see, with? That is my SWAT hand. Like, <laughs> don't SWAT. stop kicking the seat. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, personality test: holding near the middle of the wheel. So if it's one-handed, you're a thrill seeker who lives life to the fullest. Two mean, two hands. So if like you're literally cupping the horn, <laughs> it means you're soft-spoken and try to avoid conflict. And if you're a one-handed, on the horn, ready to go at all times, you're probably a busy and bossy person. You're also reliable, according to this personality survey, as to where you keep your hands on the steering wheel. The steering wheel personality test. Do you find any... Any sort of accuracy with that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Spot on. Definitely spot on for me. And I feel like it's pretty spot on for you as well. Yeah. I like it. I like this. I actually wanted to do it while people were driving because, like, if you asked me to think about where I put my hands, I had to really think about it. Like, I had to only I knew we were going to do this topic this morning. So I had to think about it as I was driving in because I'm like, I don't know necessarily where I keep my hands. I didn't have to. You know why? Driver's training told me to put them at 10 (laughs) 10 and 2. You roll follower. So, yes. So I'm like, yeah, that's what you do. Sadie in the morning. Magic 95.1. Angie Nash is in studio. Hanging out. All right. So the big news yesterday, and I don't mean to get all sciencey because I really feel like I'm treading on thin ice even talking about it, but it's what everyone's sort of talking about with Pfizer announced that they have data regarding a coronavirus vaccine. And it really needs broken down and understood because vaccines and flu shots, they all have sort of certain degrees of, of effectiveness before they even come to the market. So yesterday, Pfizer announced that they have a vaccine that they say so far after stage three of trials is 90% effective at preventing people from getting coronavirus. Officials like Dr. Fauci were worried that originally the best we would ever get is like 50 to 70% effective. So 90 is the big deal. That's why it's the headline. If you want context and goodness golly, I do. (laughs) I like context. Uh, Just to compare like flu vaccines each year vary between 40 to 60% effective. Now Pfizer reports 50 million doses of this thing should be ready by the end of the year, but 25 million are going to overseas and 
and we get to keep $25 million here. That's if many people actually sign up to take it. So there's different public health officials. There's doctors all over the country giving varying interviews as to whether you should take it or whether it's not, whether we need to see more data. The only thing I sort of learned on all of this, and I think everything is good, every question you're asking in your head is a valid one. Well, here's one public health official speaking about the significance of the announcement that took place yesterday. What we've been expecting is a vaccine that might be 60 or at best 70% effective. And at that level, while it helps a lot in controlling the pandemic, it certainly doesn't make the pandemic go away. Once you get vaccines that are 90 plus percent effective, it really starts making a very big difference. So these are people that study this stuff all day long, not like a layman like me. It's just <laughs> reading stuff. So the question is, let's say you're all in. You're, you're team vaccine. When might it be available? I have millions of doses by the end of this year, uh, but we're going to need to get hundreds of millions of Americans and billions of people around the world vaccinated. So I expect that we're really talking about I'm, I suspect April, May, June. Before. April, May, June is the storyline there. So if you're following some of that stuff, the best I can do is pass along information and let you sort of digest it. What I've tried to do there is just break it down in a way that's concise. Mm-hmm. And so you can have your own judgments. I certain people do about vaccines and vaccines in general, flu shots, whether they work or not, vaccines with kids are somewhat of a polarizing issue. I'm certainly not trying to steer you one way or the other, but I'm trying to break down what was confusing about yesterday's announcement. Exactly because it came down so fast and there's so many different people telling you so many different stories. Yeah, and I was just like, well, what is Thank 90% you. effective? Why does that matter? And when might we get it? So the answer is maybe summer, maybe fall, and then you still need enough people to try it to kind of go through the final part of the trial and all this. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people have a cautionary tale. Let's get to what's going on in Hollywood. We were telling you a few minutes ago, the executive producers of Jeopardy paid tribute to Alex Trebek last night before last night's show. They said Alex loved the show and everything it stood for, and he's forever be an inspiration for his constant desire to learn, his kindness, and for his love of his family. And this morning, there's now a new name that's surfacing that could be a potential runner or candidate to take over hosting duties. The show has remained mum on this, but many people speculate it might be Ken Jennings because I think didn't Jeopardy hire him as like a consultant and executive producer and yes, and he like gives clues. He does like some video stuff for them. So yeah, I mean, when you think of people that are synonymous with Jeopardy in recent years, aside from Alex Trebek, you might think Ken Jennings definitely. But the new name that's surfacing is now reps for George Stephanopoulos, the ABC Good Morning America anchor and ABC News anchor, admitted in previous interviews, he's interested in the job but would think it's big shoes to fill, thinks it could be a lot of fun, but he likes what he's doing now as well. I do know that I think when I've talked to, you've listened to interviews of like morning show anchors over the year, both men and women, it does take its toll on you, the hours and so I think sometimes you start to look for an exit strategy and it could be Jeopardy. Right, and and you know, he's George Stephanopoulos, he could totally pull that off. Well, he's married to a comedian. His right. wife is a comedian, and uh, so you, she, he has a writer at home all the time. CBS says now from now on, all of its unscripted shows must have casts that are at least 50% non-white. So, for example, shows like Survivor, Big Brother, Love Island. Love Island. Never seen Love Island. Have you watched Love Island? 
You know I watch Love Island, Andy. Oh my gosh. Uh, they're also want to increase diversity behind the scenes on their crew as well. Netflix is releasing some stats about holiday movie consumption. About half of Netflix subscribers have watched one of their original holiday movies last year. So this time last year, Netflix had about 167 million subscribers. So that means 84 million sought out some of their holiday content. And you and I were talking, Angie, this morning. We've both watched this year's release of Holiday. Yeah, I watched it twice now. Emma Emma Roberts is in it, which is Julia Roberts' niece, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And then- some new guy. This is this guy who plays Jackson. I don't even know his real name, the actor, but he's he's new. And let me tell you, you're going to see him a lot. He is good looking. I look. I'm confident and comfortable enough as a man on the radio to point out other attractive men. I have no problem admitting Brad Pitt. Doing all right. Mm-hmm. Zach Efron, good looking. Mm-hmm. Rob Lowe, attractive older man. By the way, if you're if you're interested to in me, I think I think Zach Efron's the new Rob Lowe. A hundred percent he is, no question. So I have no problem admitting attractive men and this guy in Holiday on Netflix. I'm like, where has that guy been? Right? I mean he should be in movies or modeling cologne shirtless someplace. That's what's happening in Hollywood.